Good morning, Every Nation family. So good to be in the house of the Lord, to worship together, to praise Him together. Wasn't that worship amazing? Yes, we can praise God one more time. We trust in God for the move of His Spirit. We trust in God to move as we worship Him. And let me remind you the power of testimony. So thank you, Aretha, for sharing that, that when testimony is shared, it is to build our faith. It is to remind us that God can do in a day what it will take years for men to do. So family, I want to remind you also, Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. The unfolding of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. That is to say that whenever we gather together and we hear the teaching and the preaching of the word, it illuminates something in us. It takes away the darkness and it brings light in our lives. It also destroys confusion, whatever confusion you might find yourself in. The Word of God brings understanding. Can I hear amen to that? Awesome. And today we are in for a treat. We start a sermon series called Facing Giants. You know, normally when we speak about giants, we talk about uh, societal giants. But this series, we want to focus specifically on personal giants. So the giants that we face as individuals, you know, every dream has a promised land and every promised land has a giant. Every dream has a promised land and every promised land has a giant. All of us, God has called us to some dream somewhere, to some destiny somewhere, but on our way to our destinies, we face these giants along the way. And we need to deal with those giants. How many of you would agree with me that if you don't deal with those giants, they will stop you from getting to your destiny? We've got to deal with those giants. Let's not be like the Israelites who who compromised and did not deal with the giants. When God said, deal with the giants when you get to the land of which I've called you to take as your inheritance. So there's a scripture I want to read for us just as a theme of this uh, particular series. It's not our text for today, but just the theme of this series. It is remind us what happened with the Israelites when they did not obey God. So Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 to 2 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, all the ites that you can ever find, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally, annihilate them, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. I mean, Scripture is clear. Show them no mercy. I know sometimes it sounds harsh, it feels harsh, but it's the Bible, it's not me. It says, show them no mercy. So if you are an Instagrammer, you'll read that and say, Uskaba fa chance. Don't give them any chance. Don't give them any chance, you know. Get rid of them completely. Don't you know that if you give the devil a foothold, he is not a gentleman, he takes the whole house. He takes the whole house. So some giants, you don't want to leave them you want to slay them completely. You want to slay them completely. So this sermon series, we're going to focus on four giants. The first giant we're, going to look, giant we're going to look at is the giant of looking good. Look good, feel good, be right, and be in control. 
So this is the sermon series that we as the pastors at the sermon planning, when we were preparing it, we started feeling like, man, who's going to preach about that? Because we all are work in progress. We all are work in progress. So when we talk about these giants, we want to live in freedom. We don't want to stay in the place of depravity or a place of slavery by these giants. We want to live in freedom. We are going for freedom. So let me just see with a show of hands. If any of you say, I've taken care of all these giants, all these four, I'm good. If you're good, come lay hands on us after the service. We need help. So these giants is to help us overcome, is to help us to get to a promised land. Don't keep them. Don't keep those giants in your place. So as we look at uh, the giant of looking good, how to recognize and overcome this giant in your life, remember that looking good is not just about physical appearance. It's also how you want people to perceive you. It's also how you want to keep a reputation that you're always good, you got it together. Everything is going well when you know that inside things are not going well. Remember that this giant of, of looking good, it's not really that it's wrong to look good or to be presentable. The problem is when it becomes an obsession. The problem is when it becomes our main focus, that we always, always want to look good. So let me just say it up front, nothing wrong with being excellent and being presentable. If you're going to visit your image consultant, nothing wrong with that. It must just not be an obsession. Just saying, just saying. My wife said I'm looking good. So, so far we're doing well. This past week we had a, a wellness and health day at church for all the stuff. I see the front row, they're going like, Aish. You know, well, health and wellness day, we were looking at BMI, body mass index, your weight, you're looking at cholesterol, blood pressure, and you know the results as they were coming out, myself and Greg, we really felt that the results were rigged. You know, like when the elections are rigged, we felt like the results were rigged. You know, Greg and I, we started praying in the spirit. I kid you not. You know, while we were there taking the, the test, you know, like I was binding that machine. I said, Puma, in Jesus' name. I was binding the cholesterol. I was binding, you know, like that body fat, you know, like Nibangaki. How many are you in there? If you've been to a tent crusade, you understand when they say Nibangaki, you know. How many of you in that body? We're talking about demons, by the way, you know. <laughs> I have to say this. I have to say this. I have to say this. You know, the, the, the vitality age was not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, I, you feel me, bro. You feel me. I was like, how can they say I'm older than I am? I mean, really. That's just not fair. The reality is, I think some of those results are really rigged to get us to go to gym, you know. We will go to gym. Let, let me give you a summary of what we're talking about this morning, right? We want to look good, but let it not be an obsession. So this is a summary of what it is. Bob Mumford writes, over concern about appearance or image rather than character. Look good is not just concerned with outward appearance, but with creating a reputation that is not established in truth of who God says you are. It involves an improper or illegal search for originality, uniqueness in dress, language, automobile, cars, help us Jesus, skills, or your career. It will pay 
any price, exerts a tremendous amount of effort to preserve its image. Look good is ruled by the fear of man. Just this last phrase, it is ruled by the fear of man. And we're going to talk about that today, the fear of man. So this is our text for today, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is about the birth of Jesus, a story that we're very familiar with. But I believe there's some truths in this story that helps us understand how sometimes we are faced with choices. Whether we, we will choose uh, to, 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 to save our reputation or to follow God's will. That's a big choice we see Joseph is facing here. Let's read verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Interesting. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, from sleep he did not he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading and the study of his word. Can I hear amen to that? So friends, from this portion of scripture that we read, from this text, this story is helping us understand that at the birth of Jesus Christ, you know, you would have read from verse 1 all the way to verse 17. It speaks about the generations that came all the way from Abraham to David uh, to Joseph to, to Jacob, the father of Joseph, to where we are today where Jesus was born. But then we come to this point where Joseph is faced with this challenge, and I want to bring you to this verse, because Joseph, her husband, underline her husband, was faithful to the law, faithful to the law, meaning he was a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I like the words that the scripture is using here, that Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was faithful to the law. You can actually say that Joseph was Mr. Nice Guy. Joseph had a good reputation. He was known in society to be this guy who is faithful to the law, who knows his stuff. You can even say, if you watch the movie, Mr. Good Deeds, Joseph was that kind of guy. He had it all together, and he was helping other people. But you continue with the story. If I were to put it in a different way, I would put it this way. Imagine here is Joseph minding his business, and his fiancée shows up and says, Babe, I don't know what you use today, my love, honey, sweetie, whatever it is, I have good news and bad news. What do you want first? And then Joseph goes, Can you give me the bad news first so that we can celebrate afterwards? And she goes, I'm pregnant! Imagine, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You are pregnant and it's not me. 
I tell you, I think Joseph found himself in a predicament. What do you mean you're pregnant? And it's not me. I think if Joseph was an African guy, he would have said, we am Joel. <laughs> Who do you think you are, you know, to just show up and tell me you're pregnant? And Joseph, right there at that point, he was faced with this challenge. And then Mary says, well, the good news is it is the Holy Spirit. Actually, it is God. I mean, I just want to be honest with you. If I was Joseph, I'll also say, sorry, lady, there's something wrong with this picture. You want to tell me, God, how does that happen? God? Joseph was faced with a predicament. And Joseph, in the middle of the night, you see when you read Scripture, it says he was considering this thing. He was going through it and thinking, man, what am I going to do with this woman? She tells me that she, she's pregnant. And I want to just bring your attention to this before we continue with the story. Joseph worked out a plan, and she, he said he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So his plan was to divorce her quietly. Don't you ask yourself a question, why use such a strong word, divorce? If they were betrothed, pledged to be married, why use the word betrothed? It is because we understand in that culture, and the same applies today, that if you make a promise to marry someone, it is a serious commitment. You don't just say, I love you, I want to marry you, let's set a date to get married, and then you run away. Even better, closer to home, you don't go and approach the parents of the lady and pay Lobola and then run away and expect a refund. No refund. <laughs> there is just no refund. But being engaged, I mean, look at that. The Bible says because Joseph, her husband, they were engaged, but they're using terms as husband and wife because of the commitment of engagement. The days we're living in, I feel like we don't take our words as our bond, where we make a commitment and we walk away out of that commitment so easily. We run away from that commitment. We will come back to this point, but let me just also mention that there are times and circumstances where you, you break an engagement. It's better than breaking a marriage, but still the pain and the, the, the hurt, it's tough. It's difficult to go through that process. Going back to the story, Joseph works out a plan, and in his plan, he's thinking to himself, I don't want to, I don't want to disgrace her. I will walk away. I'll run away, and I will let her explain to people this God-made-me-pregnant story. And you, you don't realize that in that moment, what Joseph is missing is the fact that he should have thought about this, that Scripture says it was already prophesied that a virgin will give birth to a, to, to, to a child. So Joseph should have thought about this and said, it is already written in Scripture that this is going to happen. Maybe it's us. But he's actually working out a plan. So my summary of this is Joseph had a choice to choose between his own reputation and God's will. He had to choose between his reputation or God's will. And we sometimes face with that choice where we have to choose to God's will even at the expense of our reputation. Even at the expense of looking good in the eyes of man. 
You know, I really want to bring this close to home because practically speaking, is we find ourselves, let me talk to men a little bit, that you will sleep with someone who is not your wife or not yet your wife, two different things, but you don't want to stay for the consequences after. You work out a plan to keep your re- reputation, you're going to walk away from the situation. Isn't that the number one problem of the world today? Lack of present fathers? Fatherlessness? Because men, keeping their reputation, they've moved away from their responsibilities. So we've got to pray and trust that a different crop of men is rising that understand that we need to take our responsibility and be present fathers. The second thing to bring this whole reputation thing to home is that uh, we are so concerned about how we look in community, in public, but we are a different person at home. You know, I'm concerned about how people perceive me when I'm in public, but when I'm at home, I'm this angry, hangry, you know the term? It's a new, it's a new term, hangry. You're hungry and angry together. Old grandpa. And I thought to myself and praying for this moment, and I realized that we need to understand that private purity precedes public performance. Private purity precedes public performance. We are so concerned with how we look, but the good thing is I can preach with my wife here, and she can be able to tell you if I'm the hangry man at home. We need to be who we are, whether in private or in public, we need to be the same. The other one that really is, for all of us here, is if, you, if you're so concerned about the car that you drive and you go ahead and buy this expensive car without thinking about the financial implication to your budget because you look good to everyone else. But we know how it affects the budget to the point that the, at times, you know, the month is a little bit too long than we expect it to be. So if we don't deal or slay this giant, we fall into this trap. The consequence of not facing or slaying the giant of looking good is that you fall into a trap of approval addiction. Approval addiction is people pleasing, doing things for other people out of a sense of obligation. If you let let people take advantage of you, it is your fault, not theirs. Establish boundaries. You know, we can talk the whole day about this. I'm not talking about when people take advantage of you in inappropriate ways, particularly in a sexual way, but I'm talking about when you let people take advantage of you and you're doing things out of a sense of obligation without being true to yourself. Establish boundaries. We have to be very, very careful of this Approval addiction, because I believe that if we let anything else define us by but God, we will never measure up. If we let anything else define us but God, we will never feel like we are enough. Because it's, it's, it's that bottomless hole where you constantly, you get a new car, you still don't measure up. You get a new suit, you still don't measure up. You get a new, new shoes, I don't know what it is, but you still don't measure up. Until you get to that point of saying, God, I'll let you define me. I won't let the world or the things of this world define me. You know, one of the things that exacerbates this approval addiction is social media. 
Let's, let's pause there for a little bit. You know, my wife uh, picked up this book, uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Great book I can recommend. So when my wife picked it up, I was thinking to myself whether she's picking it up for herself or for me. Because every time she's reading it, she's like, babe, look at this. I think it was for us, eh, babe, for both of us. Oh, she's just sharing, she says. But this book has been really, really helpful because as much as the phones are good for us, but they are actually changing us. I want to just read this excerpt for you from this book about how particularly social media, before I even start talking about the WhatsApp groups. <laughs> WhatsApp groups is, a, is another monster. Since I've started it, I, I've had to... By the way, I'm preaching to yourself and I'm preaching to myself, right? So I've, I've made peace with the fact that if I write something on the WhatsApp group and people don't respond, I'm still good with God. Me and God, we are still good. You know, let me just speak to the staff. You know, it's okay, guys. It's okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good with God. You know, like you've written a powerful revelation and no one says anything. You know, like nothing has happened, you know. But it happens the same with social media. Look what happens. is The bars of social approval has conditioned us to feed on regular microbursts of validation given by every like, favorite, retweet, link, or share. Right. This new physiological conditioning means that our lives become more dependent on the moment-by-moment -moment approval of others. The problem is not just that we need to turn away from these microbursts of approval, but we must depend deprogram ourselves from this online hunger. We must deprogram ourselves from this online hunger. So this book is really great because what it's simply saying is two things that have helped me personally is why when I've posted something, a few seconds later, I already go back to check the likes. I mean, people haven't even had time to read what you've posted. Some are even at work, you know. Why do I want them to read what I've posted and click a like? So I ask myself that. And the second question is, what is my motive for posting? Is it to look good to everyone? And I look at the number of likes, and I look at who is liking, you know. I look, did David Webb like? David Webb did not like my post. Because David Webb is, is the bishop in our church. So that addiction of approval, we need to watch it, friends. We need to watch it. Otherwise, we fall into this trap. Going back to the story in verse 20, it says, But as he conceded these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear to take him, to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you study scripture, you need to ask yourself why certain things are there. So something that, that, that comes to mind here is why Joseph, son of David, number one. Number two, why didn't the angel of the Lord appear to Joseph before Mary fell pregnant? And I'm just thinking to myself, God, in his infinite wisdom, he thought that if Joseph was told before Mary fell pregnant, Joseph would have tweeted it. 
I'm just saying. Joseph would have told everyone that, you know what? I'm the guy that was prophesied about, that we the virgin, the whole story. I'm the guy. So God, in his infinite wisdom, he knew that Joseph needed to be a witness to the story that I didn't touch this woman and she's pregnant. God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that. And now Joseph is facing a predicament here, which I believe is also an identity issue. It's an identity issue where Joseph had to choose reputation. Oh, man, the will of God. What's been prophesied? Joseph should have known better what has been prophesied. And the reason why it says Joseph, son of David, is because God was invoking covenant. It was prophesied in 1 Samuel chapter 7 that you, David, I'm going to establish my house, Israel, here in your household. So when God invokes a covenant promise, because when God makes promises, it, it does something to eternity. Eternity shifts when God makes promises. So we understand that when that promise was made in 1 Samuel, it already lined up what was to come, what was to happen. Now Joseph needed to be reminded of who he was, a reminder of who he was. I don't know if you remember the movie, The Lion King. If you have children, you've probably watched it 50 times. And if you have watched the three of the movies, you've watched all of them three times or more. I was thinking about that portion when Mufasa goes to Simba, who has lost his identity, who had forgotten who he was, and he says to him, remember who you are. I can't do the Mufasa voice, but God is saying to you, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. So when God was visiting Joseph in the middle of the night to say, remember who you are, he says, you are part of something bigger than your reputation. You are part of something bigger than you just trying to look good to everyone. Remember who you are. You'll see how this ties in well with every morning when we read scripture and remind ourselves who we are so we are not defined by the things of this world, but we are defined by God. I want to be defined by God, not what someone else say I am. I have been in the fear of men for too many years. I love living in freedom. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are the head and not the tail. You are made in the image of God. You are the apple of His eye. When He looks at you, He says, you already measure up. Nothing you do more can make you be accepted. You are already accepted as you are. You are a son and daughter of the King. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. I have to tell myself that because I know the onslaught of the enemy. The battle is in the mind. The battle is in the mind. He's constantly telling you, you, you are not this, you are that. But the word of God teaches me to know who I am. Joseph should have known better. It was already written in scripture. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will give, conceive and give birth to a child. If Joseph was faithful to the law, if Joseph understood the law, he should have known this was already prophesied. But at that moment, he forgot who he was, and God needed to remind him who he was. So in closing, the means of grace to overcome this giant is Matthew 4 verse 1, uh, Matthew 6 verse 1. Some scriptures to help you overcome this giant. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is where? In heaven. Another good one is uh, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trip. But whoever trusts in the Lord is what? Safe. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. If you're obsessed with what people think about you, your reputation in front of people is the quickest way to forget what things about you. What I like, Greg Rochelle, saying this is the opposite is true. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. So if you're obsessed with the Word, if you're obsessed with faith confessions, what God says about you, you're on the right track. I'm closing with a story that's very close to my heart. You know, growing up, my dad was a man of good reputation. I mean, we had a good relationship together. We, we had ups and downs, but it was mainly a very performance-based relationship. If I did well with my studies, we were good. If I didn't do so well, we were not good. And I can say to parents today, we, without realizing, we actually are so obsessed with our reputation that we even enforce, we even impose certain things on our children that they end up putting up masks to pretend that everything is okay when they're not okay because of our reputation. I'm saying it because I experienced myself putting a reputation because every time, putting a mask, every time I'm around my dad, I needed to look good and be good all the time. So I grew up learning to put on the mask, learning to just show that everything is okay, but inside things are not okay. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray together and reflect on these masks that we wear. The masks that we put so that we can look good in front of people. You know, the first mask that I just want to put to you this morning is, is, is the, the mask of uh, perfectionism. This positive persona, like everything is good all the time, but you know that things are not good. There's a mask of uh, strength persona where you, you, you are holding things together. Every time we see you, like, you're holding things together, but there's baggage inside that you need to deal with. There's the intellectual mask, this intellectual persona that I like to call Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Albert Einstein. You, you are the CEO, the MD. You're always number one in your class. I don't know even if those things still exist because when I went to school, they were number one, number two, number three. The rest didn't matter. You, you, you have the answers to all the questions, but you know that inside things are not good. Number four is a people-pleasing persona where you can't say no to people. You're always solving other people's problems. You're always there for people, but have you ever stopped and looked how you're doing in your heart? The other mask is uh, a grumpy persona. You're constantly comparing yourself with other people. Therefore, you're not happy. You're not measuring up. You're always trying to be like someone else who you are not. And these masks, all of us, we probably have put them on and off at different points. And I'm speaking as one who knows the freedom of laying down the masks and say, this is who I am. I'm not going to try and pretend to be someone that I'm not. So this morning as we pray, I want us to just say, Lord, I take down the mask. Let's just bow our heads and let's just 
spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm laying down the mask. I'm laying down the mask. I don't want to carry this mask anymore. I don't want to leave like I have it all together, but actually I don't. I don't want to leave like uh, things are good, but things are not good. I don't want to leave like I have the answers to all the questions, but uh, I do also struggle with some questions myself. So let's just pray together. Just pray for yourself. Just bring yourself before the Lord. And you're now just saying, God, I'm bringing this mask down. I'm tired of carrying this mask. Maybe you've been saved, born again for many years. And you, the Lord is just prompting something. It might not even be one of these five masks, but it's something in you that you know it's always pulling you down. You always want to look good and keep a safe reputation before people at the expense of God's will for your life. Let's just pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that we'll pull down all the masks and live in freedom to the glory of your name. Be glorified today in Jesus' name. Let's give God a round of praise.